The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ages Analysis. Bruce is going to be joining me shortly. He's trying to figure out some technical difficulties um, on his end of things. So he'll be joining any minute. I'm sure he'll. Again, it'll be a great show. It's your host, AJ Sabalski, um, here today. A little bit under the weather, um, dealing with a little bit of a sickness here, but I'm uh, excited to talk some Bills football here for the next 30, 40 minutes. Um, so, again, we're going to you know talk about the Bills-Commanders game, kind of preview the Bills-Dolphins game towards the end. But I want to start um, with an apology, kind of, and I think Nate Geary kind of went along this today, but I'm going to kind of follow that suit. And just Terrell Bernard, I think – a lot of people jumped the gun on him. Again, third-round pick. People had their doubts. I don't think enough. The thing with him is I never really doubted him. It's not that I doubted him. Uh, it's just that I didn't see him play in a live game, in a live game setting. I was at training camp. He was supposed to be this great coverage linebacker. I saw him get beat a few times during training camp, and he didn't look you know, like the player we saw on Sunday. So just apologizing um, about Terrell Bernard because, look, the guy threw three games – has really looked the part and it, and he's going to be a very you know valuable part of this team and this defense moving forward. You have the Miami Dolphins who love to run shallow crossers over the middle, deep crossers over the middle. They're a team that's very good at doing things like that. And Terrell Bernard is going to be a major uh, you know impact and contributor if the Bills want to be successful on defense moving forward. But yeah, that's where I want to start. Terrell Bernard, sorry I doubted you, kid. Like you're a baller. Um, you know I don't think that. I was kind of urgent to, for the Bills to bring someone in. That's why when they got Christian Kirksey, I was very happy that if the Terrell Bernard situation kind of doesn't work itself out, that they have that reliable veteran uh, to kind of you know go off of. So Christian Kirksey obviously retired now, so there's not that option, but it, it hasn't really been that much of a worry. Again, Terrell Bernard has really done a good job and, and filled right in for, for this Bills defense. Jessica Tana says in the comments, wait, Bean sucks as a drafter. Yeah, that's kind of what my initial thought was too. I think a lot of people gave up on Terrell Bernard kind of early just because they didn't see him last year. Terrell Bernard must have – I mean, maybe he wasn't always the plan to replace Tremaine Edmonds, but I think Sean McDermott had a vision. Clearly he likes those smaller guys that can show versatility in coverage, and Terrell Bernard does that. That's that's what he does. He's a very versatile player. He can blitz. He can – if the defensive line can eat up the blocks, which they've been doing, he can you know attack the running backs in those lanes and get the running backs down. His average depth of tackle has been very good. Um, so – that's kind of where I'm at with Terrell Bernard. Uh, so let's get to the game of what he did. Uh, obviously a phenomenal game. Uh, two sacks, an interception, a fumble recovery. He's the first player to do it since Brian Urlacher 
um, in, in 2007. So that's obviously elite company uh, for a second year player and his third ever start at the position uh, to do a th- to do something like that is pretty phenomenal. Um, and then you get into the Tremaine Edmonds debate. Like, is he better than Tremaine Edmonds? That's kind of going to be the narrative for the whole week. I believe that's going to be something we talk about. He's obviously already matched Edmonds career sack and interception total as a bill. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, career totals as a, is in sacks, the highest he's ever been is two. And he's also had two interceptions in the same season. Terrell Bernard's already done that through three games. So again, um, Terrell Bernard's already like matching numbers that Terrain Edmonds was doing for, you know, his, in his five years, only done, only did it once and he's done it in three games. So it's just phenomenal to see a player like that, again, kind of underappreciated going into the season, a guy that many people didn't think about. And while I'm here talking about it, I think Bruce is in the building. Bruce, can you? Can I hear you? I don't know. Can you? I can hear you. How you doing? I'll tell you what, man. They keep telling me that technology is going to make our lives easier. In my experience, that has not been the case. It has just <laughs> not been the case overwhelmingly. Massive audio issues. I apologize for my tardiness. Thank you so much for having me. Did I miss all the fun? Or what? Yeah, so I was just I was doing my I did my little apology spiel about Terrell Bernard because I think like again I was so urgent for them to bring in a veteran presence like the Christian Kirksey. Obviously, he retires and now Bernard starts to kind of play out of his mind and has this breaking out party. Bruce, I wanted to ask you um, while I'm still on this topic, um, you know he's going to be compared. That's going to be the guy he's going to be compared to the rest of his of his career is Tremaine Edmonds. That that's kind of the guy he's replaced, kind of the guy the Bills went and drafted in the first round back in 2018 and kind of let go. To, and Edmonds is now in the Bears and. I, Awful situation. I kind of feel bad for the guy, although he's racking up a ton of tackles. Um, just your thoughts on Terrell Bernard, because that's where I started, and what you think of his game so far through his first three games and obviously a career day uh, yesterday. One of the things that the coaching staff has said before is that ideally you'd like to have two matchup linebackers. Right? In an ideal world, that's what you want to have. And Tremaine Edmonds was a unique beast. And so I think that one of the things that we were focused on when we lost Tremaine Edmonds was – you don't really replace Tremaine Edmonds with a Tremaine Edmonds. You replace a Tremaine Edmonds with somebody else and you make the adjustments as necessary. So I think what you're seeing is you're seeing Tremaine Edmonds go and play well in in Chicago and rack up a a bunch of tackles and more importantly for him, rack up a bunch of cash in Chicago. But Terrell Bernard is not Tremaine Edmonds and he's not playing like Tremaine Edmonds. He's playing very different than Tremaine Edmonds. And so, I think that one of the things that we historically always talked about when it comes to Tremaine Evans, we, we talked about opportunity costs a lot. We talked about things that would otherwise happen in an offense that didn't happen due to his presence on the other side of the ball. So it was throws he was taking away in zone coverage. It was throws that were taken off the menu. It was the opportunity cost. And so for Terrell Bernard, you're never going to have that same level of opportunity cost because you don't have that size profile. But you are going to potentially have more splash plays. So if you wanted to try and get yourself a second Milano, which I know is blasphemy because Milano is one of the you know, top five linebackers in football. But I think that when you look at those things, you say, OK, we're naturally going to like what we see from Terrell Bernard more when it comes to the splash plays because he's probably going to make more of them. But what we're not going to see is we're not going to see the things that are now happening that would have otherwise not happened if Tremaine Edmonds was here. So it's a very different type of linebacker. I just, I don't even know if it's really fair to compare the two of them. I'm happy with what we saw from Terrell Bernard. I think that the adjustments that have been made on the defensive side of the ball to accommodate for the fact that you don't have 
a Tremaine Edmonds anymore. Instead, you have a different type of linebacker. I think are more important than the actual conversation around comparing the two, even though I know that the comparison is going to happen. I think I'd rather be talking about how the defensive staff is adjusting to not having a Tremaine Edmonds and instead having a Terrell Bernard. Yeah, again, I mean, the first player since 2007, uh, I think he joined, you know, joins Brian Urlacher on the list with two sacks and interception and a fumble recovery in the same game. I mean, just astonishing um, play from Bernard last week or yesterday, excuse me. Um, but I want to continue this Bernard conversation with one more thing. It's a big test for Bernard against the Dolphins, and I mentioned to it earlier. Um, a, a team that has a high volume of, you know, shallow and deep crossers, a team that likes to go over the middle. And you, like you said, Bruce, uh, Bernard's that typical matchup linebacker. Um, that's kind of one, of one of his strongest, you know, aspects of his game coming out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is, is, do you think Terrell Bernard is ready or do you think there's even like, I mean, maybe that's a stupid question, but is he ready to take that step against the Miami offense that, you know, they're at a level that's they're on, you know, Sean McDermott used the word today, revolutionary on um, with what they're doing on offense. Is Terrell Bernard ready for that moment? We're going to find out real fast, but I think that this is exactly what I was talking about with having Tremaine Edmonds to patrol the middle of the field to try to take things off the menu for Tua and that Mike McDaniels, a lot of those in-breaking routes was a big deal during the time that the Bills played the Dolphins. You don't have that anymore. You don't have the length. So we saw examples of Terrell Bernard against Washington play really well with knowing the route concepts that were developing behind him and being able to take things off the menu. One of the things that you don't, you don't talk about at all when you talk about coverage skills when it comes to linebackers is the idea that you can have an understanding of what's occurring behind you and make sure that you are in the right place to take things off of the menu for the quarterback. You can follow Sam Howell's eyes and be okay because he's a young quarterback and the bills defense talked about that after the game that, you know, you can, you can follow around Sam Howell's eyes and he'll lead you to the ball Two and Mike McDaniel are not going to do that. The, the tricks that you used against Howell are not going to work against Tua and Mike McDaniel. So for me, this is going to be a huge challenge, not just due to the length, but also due to the fact that you have a young linebacker. And previously you played against a young quarterback who was going to make young quarterback mistakes. And now you're not. Now you're playing against a more established quarterback with a more established offensive mind. They are not just going to go leading you to the ball. That's not how it's going to happen. So you need to deploy yourself differently as a linebacker. It's going to be a significant test for Bernard. 100%. Um, Before I move on to the next topic here, or we do, excuse me, please like, share. Uh, I really appreciate it. There's 16 of you in here right now. So if any of you can like, share, uh, drop your questions in the comments. We'll try to get to those. Moving on to this offensive line. So I'm going to kind of go back and forth here. I kind of got it schemed out here on my uh, laptop. But offensive line play. the biggest storyline going into this game, Bruce, was the, the front four for the commanders. They pressured the Broncos at an historic rate, like 37 pressured, had, had seven sacks. They had Chase Young, Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Payne. Like that was that was kind of the thing. Can they stop them? 
Well, the Bills' offensive line comes out, allows zero sacks against the Commanders, and Josh Allen was only pressured on 25% of drop pack dropbacks. Um, and then a great stat from Adam over at Cover One uh, per FTN Network. The Bills' offensive line is second in adjusted line yards through three games. So you're seeing kind of this offensive line, you know, the money and all the you know uh, kind of intangible moves they've made on this offensive line in terms of the Cyrus Torrance adding Connor McGovern for that big contract, trusting in Spencer Brown, and then also, you know, having Ryan Bates at that depth spot who actually is day-to-day with an injury. Um, and that was the only injury that the Bills suffered. So they're, they're healthy. That's another great positive from this game. But, Bruce, just talk about the offensive line performance. I thought Josh looked really comfortable back there, was able to get through his reads, was very smart when he chose to run and how, you know, he slid. He did everything right. Uh, just talk about this offensive line and how they performed on Sunday. We talk way too much about play calling based on results and not nearly enough about game plan. This is the second week in a row that Ken Dorsey and offensive line coach Aaron Cromer have managed to scheme out a significant pass rush or rusher. I mean, can we give them some flowers, please? Because I understand that we have a very reductionist view of play calling. Did it work? Then it's great. If it didn't work, then it's terrible. Like I understand that's the way it works with people, but there's so much more to being an offensive coordinator than just the result of the play as it happened. Like there's so much more than that. And a big part of it is being able to have a plan for a player like Max Crosby against the Raiders. A good part of it is having a plan for a defensive line like this. And that's what you've seen. And so I've been very, very pleased with what I've seen from them. Um, I, I made a statement after the Raiders game that, that Spencer Brown wasn't as good against the Raiders as the plan was. The plan was really better against the Raiders than Spencer Brown was against the Raiders. And I think that that was the case here where there was a really good plan in place. Now, that doesn't take anything away from individual performances. I think specifically Osiris Torrance has played really, really well for the Buffalo Bills through three weeks. But I think that more importantly than that is the actual plan that was put in place by Cromer, by Ken Dorsey, allowed things to happen that Josh Allen was comfortable with. He was on time. And as you mentioned, he played within the offense. He did, you know, he did some Houdini stuff when he has to do some Houdini stuff. And that's fine. But you can't build an offense around that. And he was on, he was on time. He was where he needed to be there. You're using Dalton Kincaid as this outlet caught two passes, only gained three yards. Right, they're using him as an outlet. I'd like to see them use him a little bit more down the field, but it's working right now to give Josh Allen something that he trusts, where he can get out of trouble with his arm instead of his legs. So that, that works out well. Yeah, going back to the Osiris Torrance conversation, like he, I mean, I think Connor McGovern. First of all, I think he had one of his best games. I saw some clips on Twitter. I thought he looked really good um, as an anchor in that interior. I think that just the rejuvenalization of this interior offensive line has just been great. Osiris Torrance has only allowed one QB hit in four hurries through the first three games, so it, it's a really good sign for. And they're not. It's not like they're playing scrubs. They played Quinton Williams week one. They played a good just defensive line. Uh, the the Raiders have Max Crosby, and like you said, Bruce, I think the Bills. Ken Dorsey have done a great job of kind of disguising the weaker parts of that offensive line and kind of making them look better than they actually are. Spencer Brown had somewhere in the forties as a pass blocking grade against the Raiders when everyone thought he had a great game and people were surprised by that, but yeah, he wasn't that great. But again, Ken Dorsey did a great job of disguising looks to help him out as well throughout the entire game. And I, I think as that continues, Dorsey said today in his presser, like, I, uh, 
again, we had a great game plan going in against the commanders. It worked, but you know, I got to give credit to my players. They also won their one-on-ones when they had to. And that's something that I want to see more from Uh, Bruce. I want to transition to this Josh Allen under center play action kind of conversation, because look, a great example of this came to my mind when they were deep in their end zone. Um, It was a play action pass. Josh had all, all the time in the world kind of adjusted digs got open and made the, a great pass there or Allen made a great pass to digs there. Just your thoughts on the use of the play action. Do you want to see it more? I know Dan Orlovsky is a big advocate for it. I know that Dorsey said it today in his presser and I saw some people tag you in the comment section uh, <laughs> below it. So I'm sure you're a big advocate for it. So I uh, just talk about the use of play action and what it can do for Josh Allen in this offense. I think that being under center in play action creates a natural rhythm to the play for Josh Allen. I think that's really important because Josh Allen has since he occasionally when he gets flustered or get out of rhythm. And when you have a shotgun pass, that's a, you know, a rocker or a three-step drop, sometimes it doesn't feel as rhythmic. I think we saw this a lot with taller quarterbacks because it allows them to kind of get their feet squared up underneath them. I think you see a lot of it with taller quarterbacks where being under center and having the five-step drop and having the seven-step drop and having that process in place, there's a natural rhythm to a play call instead of look, 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 there is a movement where you're tying your hips in with your feet and you're tying your feet in with your eyes. And all these things are going together in kind of a flow of the pass. And so I think that Josh Allen plays better when there is a natural, but um, but um, but um, there's a rhythm, there's a cadence to the play. And I don't mean cadence like what he's calling out before the snap, but there's a natural rhythm to the play. And so um, I think you saw that with EJ Manuel. When the Buffalo Bills had EJ Manuel, he was much, much, much better when he was under center and had a chance to drop back because he was a taller player as well. And so I think that naturally that's also going to open windows. And I think one of the things that is interesting about Josh Allen, Josh Allen was never known as being a hyper anticipatory passer because quite frankly, he's never had to be. He has a howitzer attached to his right shoulder. You don't have to wait. I mean, you can afford to wait a little bit. When you have that kind of arm strength, you can wait for the guy to flash open a little bit and then pull the trigger. Players like Tua, players like Drew Brees, players like that, you you have to anticipate because you don't have the arm strength to be able to gun it in there, right? That's just not what you do. And so for me, I think that the opening those windows even further with play action, which is what play action does, right? Opens those windows a little bit further. I think that that's important for Josh Allen. So I think he's a natural skill set, being taller, having a, a stronger arm, being a not necessarily hyper-anticipatory thrower, but a really good thrower of the football. I think all those things just fit with what Josh Allen does. He has no problems turning his back to a defense. That's not an issue. He has all the necessary mobility traits to be able to get out of trouble. So that's not an issue. So it's just, he has the right skill set for that type of play. And so I want to see more of it I think it makes things a little bit easier for Josh Allen. And if you make things easier, you get less sugar high Josh because he gets to just grip it, rip it. And so for me, I want to see, you know, 30, 34% kind of play action rate. A lot of pre-snap motion. There's no shame in saying, hey, we're hitting the easy button. That doesn't mean that you don't have an elite quarterback. That just means you're taking the things that your elite quarterback does and you're allowing them to do them faster and more often. 100%. And look, Josh Allen, 20 for 32, 218 yards, two total touchdowns on an interception. Again, like I said before, you saw him slide, not take the hits. And when he did run, he was efficient with it. They were both for first downs and a touchdown. The arm punt, Bruce. I want to get to the arm punt because now we've seen it a couple times where some fans are, you know, 
yeah, it's fine. Like it's just an arm punt. He's throwing it down the field, but others, you know, there's kind of this debate that just punt the ball. You, you, you don't have any defensive players in the field. If you throw a pick, so you're, you're risking a return that with no defensive players in the field, might as well just punt it and not, you know, put your offensive players in position to have to make plays. What are your thoughts on kind of this Josh Allen just launching the ball on a third and 20, like penalties kind of set them back all game on offense. I feel like drops and penalties were kind of the redundancy in the offense and why they couldn't, I feel, finish drives um, as consistently as and I, I think most fans wanted them to. But just your thoughts on the arm punt and what, you know, just how you feel about the whole launch it deep and hopefully it either works out or doesn't and you, you know, whatever, get a good, good field position. You are on mute. I don't have an issue with the arm punt in a micro sense, like that particular play. My concern is that I don't think it was a, well, Josh is just being really situationally aware here and he's just chucking it deep on third. Because we've seen that from him on plenty of plays that weren't third and 20. So that is my overwhelming you know, response to the arm punt is that individually, when, when viewed in a micro level, that's fine. From a fine, that's a fine play. But the problem is this is a this is a trend that moves outside third and 20. And that's why I'd be talking to him about it if I was his offensive coordinator, his coach. And I was like, okay, hey, you know, I understand. What did you see here? What were you doing? Because we're never going to be able to have that conversation with him. We're never going to be able to have the, hey, okay, were you throwing this because it was third and 20? And we were like, hey, screw it. If it gets picked off, it's not a big deal. Or were you seeing it for some other reason? And that's that's the distinguishing factor. If you talk to him and he goes, yeah, it was third and 20. I thought I'm going to toss it down there. If it gets picked, no big deal. It's a, it's a thing. Okay. Well then fine. That's fine. If he comes to over the sideline goes, you know, I really thought we had coverage there. That's different. That's a different discussion. So I think my reaction to it is based on a why that I'm probably not ever going to know. So I just kind of go, well, we'll see if it happens again. (laughs) If it's a trend, it's a trend. Right, yeah. Uh, Jessica in the comments, AJ and Bruce, what happened to the tight ends yesterday? Look, I think Trent Sherfield was getting more works. He got a couple of targets. I think the Bills tried to establish the run game. Ken Dorsey today in his press conference said Josh was going through his reads. He kind of answered this question, the, the question this way. Josh was just going through his reads. Diggs was open a lot of the time, um, and that's kind of where he went with the ball. Um, and also the snap counts for both players, Knox and Kincaid, were a little bit down this week, so they weren't at – on the field as much as the previous couple of games. So that's kind of just think what I think happened with the tight ends. Dawson Knox, again, I think he had a huge opportunity to catch a touchdown. It was a dart from Josh um, right beneath the safety or linebacker, whoever that, whomever that was, turned it around, put it in a perfect spot, but Knox just could not come up with the ball. Bruce, Bill's defensive line. I want to give you some cool stats, and then we can you can you know give your thoughts on all these guys, Leonard Floyd, Ed Oliver, um, you know, just – they're just great right now. No, Von Miller's not even out there, so it's just insane. Um, Anthony Cover 1 put out today. The Bills have six players in the top 60 for pass rush productivity. Um, out of 234 players, Leonard Floyd, ninth, Ed Oliver, 19th, Daquan Jones, 20th, Jordan Phillips, 23rd, Greg Rousseau, 36th, and Adrian Panessa. And then Sam Howell was pressured on 69.2% of dropbacks per next-gen stats, stats, which is the second highest in the Gen Stats era. So, like, that's – of all. As long as Gen Stats have been around, or next Gen Stats have been around, that's the second highest they've ever seen. Um, and the Bills' defensive line was able to do that. Again, I know the Commanders have a subpar, you know, offensive line, and Sam Howell does take a little bit to get through those reads and does hang out of the ball a little bit too much. But again, just pure dominance from this defensive line. I think you're seeing Ed Oliver 
I, I don't know if we've ever seen this on Oliver for three consistent games. I've seen it in flashes, but to string it together three day, three games in a row, his dominance has just been great. He has two sacks already. One of the top players in the, in the league with pressures um, has two sacks last year. He had two and a half all season. So he's almost at, you know, his pace for sacks. Bruce, your, the, the, your thoughts on this defensive line, how have they looked and just the overall dominance kind of we've seen in the last few weeks. This is exactly what Sean McDermott wants. When Sean McDermott was designing a defense, this is what he had in mind. He wanted two matchup linebackers. He wanted a defensive line that could get pressure specifically from the interior without needing to blitz. And he wanted smart safeties on the back end. I mean, that's what he wanted. When you look at the archetype that it looks like they've been trying to build since they got here, this is it. This is what they were trying to build. This is everything they had in mind, right? If you literally just take the Carolina Panthers defense that they had previously, and you can just draw parallels between, okay, this guy is to the Panthers, what this guy is to the Bills, and this guy is to the Panthers, what this guy is to the Bills, and so on and so on. You can just draw, 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 draw. Oh, Kwan Short? Oh, Ed Oliver. What? Luke, Luke Kuechly? Oh, Matt Milano. You know, <laughs> oh, oh, you know, you know, Thomas Davis? Oh, you know, Terrell Bernard? You know, like all you just keep drawing these things. I'm not saying these players are these players, but from an archetypal standpoint, this is what they've always wanted. And a big part of that is being able to get pressure from your defensive line without needing to blitz. And the Buffalo Bills have not blitzed much this year, and that's what they would prefer. Last year, the Buffalo Bills needed to blitz more because they weren't getting those things. And a big part of that is Leonard Floyd. And another big part of that is Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver has been has been playing, like you said. This is a three-game stretch we have not seen from Ed Oliver. We've seen one game stretches from Ed Oliver, but I don't even know if you can call that a stretch. It's just a spot. It's a dot, a point. It's not even a line. It's just a point. And Ed Oliver has played better for these three games than any three consecutive games he's had since he's been here. And I don't know why. I don't know if he's one of those players that gets paid and then just suddenly gets better. Like there's, <laughs> there's just not there's not a lot of those players in the, in the NFL, but I will take it because – Let's not sit here and pretend like every single person was like, yes, that's an awesome extension for Ed Oliver. We're all like, eh, I mean, okay, I get it. My exact words on the podcast were, okay, I'm fine, but you're banking on something you haven't seen yet. You're banking on consistency that you haven't seen yet. Guess what? The first three games, he comes out and plays really well. I mean, he's had multiple splash plays every single week, and a big part of playing defense in Today's NFL is splash negative plays. Offenses are simply too good. You cannot sit there and say, we're going to be perfect every play. We're, every time, we're going to have everyone where they're supposed to be. We're going to tackle. We're not going to miss any tackle. You have to make splash negative plays to account for explosive positive plays on the offense. And that's what you've seen from the Buffalo Bills. You've seen the sacks. You've seen the interceptions. You've seen the runs for negative yardage. Those are the type of plays you need to be able to take down an offense like, I don't know, the Dolphins that are coming to town next week, you need big negative plays. You need sacks. You need picks. You need things like that. And that's the type of stuff you're getting because you can get pressure with four. And not only is it pressure with four, Bruce, they're able to bring the creeper pressures. They're able to do, you know, they're able to drop. They're able to bring Bernard and Milano, who are two great blitzing linebackers. And I'm not saying Tremaine Edmonds wasn't, but that I don't think – his coverage ability was so beneficial to the team that he was in coverage a lot more than he was blitzing. What they've been able to do, you know, disguising these pressures. Sometimes people think they are blitzing more just because of the fact that, you know, someone's dropping into coverage and they're actually bringing 
um, another linebacker or something like that. And they're actually only still rushing four. So I think they've only blitzed about 11% of the year. Uh, the Dolphins are coming into this game next week, blitzing at a rate of like 19%. So the Bills, again, they've been able to get there with four, just like Bruce has said, all year long. Sean McDermott said it in so many press conferences the last few years. We want to be able to get there with four. And whatever mixture of that four it's been, whether it's been Jordan Phillips or whether it's been Daquan Jones in there or uh, A.J. Epinesa, Greg Rousseau, Leonard Floyd, you know, there's so, there's just so much going on in the defensive line where they can rotate. And this is where you're kind of seeing that rotation come to fruition when you have dominance in every aspect of what you're doing. And the people that have been for the rotation for so long, now that you're seeing it kind of happen and you don't even have Von Miller in the mix, like I've said, I mean, this could just be fresh legs, like a fresh Leonard Floyd in the fourth quarter. It's just going to be insane. Like his bend, his quickness, it's just unbelievable. And this defensive line has taken it to a whole nother level this year. And it's hopefully that continues. A couple more quick things. Stephon Diggs, eight catches, 111 yards. I mean, what can you say? The guy's just phenomenal. Josh Allen, the, the throw to him in the first play, or first drive, sorry, was just an absolute dot. Uh, like running backwards to the side, you know, to the right side and just kind of floated in there like a perfect throw. Gabe Davis, again, like a drop. On that first or that on that drive, it kind of stalled the drive. They ended up getting a penalty, and the and the drive stalled. You want to see him make that catch every single time. It, it has to happen. James Cook, fifteen carries, ninety eight yards, proving that he can finish in the fourth quarter. Um, he kind of quiet throughout, but in the fourth quarter, he came alive. And I think getting those reps, like Sean McDermott said today in his press conference, valuable because he's still young, he's still learning, and he's never really had this much of a workload um, throughout his career as a football player. So it's good to get those reps. Bruce, I want to ask you. Micah Hyde, fourth best player, uh, fourth highest graded safety per PFF um, behind like Jesse Bates and a couple other guys. Trey White coming off a great game, 32 coverage snaps, targeted six times, only about 13 or three catches for 19 yards and a 17.4 passer rating. Just your thoughts on this secondary, because look, there was a lot of kind of noise about the Bills secondary looks too old. They're too slow. Um, and I'm not saying that last week proved anything that they're not that uh, maybe, maybe they still are a little bit slower and they, they will have trouble with that speed. I think any defense would quite frankly, but just your thoughts on Trey white, Micah Hyde in this secondary going into what should be the best offense they face all year. They forgot about Trey AJ. They forgot about Trey. I feel like there's a shirt in there somewhere. You forgot about Trey because you know, the second year after an ACL is the year that everyone thinks you're back to normal. Right. And that's the, the, what we're seeing from Travis White right now. So it was great to see him make that play. I have been an unabashed Micah Hyde stan for as long as anyone who's ever listened to the show. Um, I have said before, and I, I'll say it again, that I believe that Micah Hyde during his time with the Buffalo Bills has been the best deep ball defender in football. Um, and it's not about speed. It's about spatial awareness and it's about instincts. And both those things he has in spades. Now, do I think that Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer will look slow against the Dolphins? Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> you know why? Because everybody looks slow against the Dolphins. Like, I, man, these, these safeties, man. I don't. I just here's what I don't. Here's what I don't want to have. I don't want to have somebody come after the game and go, man, Hyde and Poyer look slow. Guess what? They're gonna look slow. They, 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 of course, they're gonna look slow. Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are two of the top fifteen fastest people on in the entire league regardless of position. And so and <laughs> the Dolphins laid 70 on the Broncos and they didn't have Jalen Waddle. Like, and now they have Devon A. Chain, who is ridiculously fast and coming around. Raheem Mostert, at his age, is still ridiculously fast 
right? I break every bone in my body just watching a player who's in his early 30s run that fast. I'm going, this is, I, I, would, I would spontaneously combust if I tried to run that fast. And so, yeah, I agree that there is a scenario where you get worried about safeties and specifically, you know, safeties in their 30s against this kind of speed. But that's not different than anything else anybody else is doing. So for me, it's about scheme. It's about keeping this in front of you. It's about being safe. And I think it's about making Tua hold the ball. That's the key. Because this is going to be a game where the pass rush will not be there to help the coverage. The coverage needs to be there to help the pass rush. Because the key is not to get to Tua faster. You're not going to get to him faster than 2.2 seconds. You're not going to. So the key is not getting there faster. It's making him hold the ball longer so that the pass rush can get there. And that's not going to be through your speed and athleticism of your defensive backs. It's going to be through your coverage rotations and the way you disguise your coverage. It's about the idea that I have correctly predicted where Tua is going to look for his first read and he's not going to like it or he's going to be confused with it. He's going to hold it for a little bit longer and then the pass rush can get there. This is not a scenario where the pass rush will do anything to help the coverage. The coverage needs to help the pass rush, but it's not going to be Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Trey White, and pure athleticism, which is getting it done. It's going to be on the defensive coaching and the coverages and Terrell Bernard and Matt Milano to be able to think, take things off the menu and make Tua hesitate. And when he hesitates, then you can get him. Agreed. I mean, look, Tua's, again, he he looks at his first read a lot, does it, you know, more than any quarterback in the league. You know, analytics have also shown that he is good at getting to a second and third read, but that's, again, because these guys can get out of their break so quick. The offensive line has done a good job. And, again, they haven't really faced, and you can say the same thing for the Bills, and it goes both ways here. Both of these teams, Bruce, going into this game, the Dolphins beat the uh, Chargers, who, you know, they find every way to beat themselves. Brandon Staley proves each week that he just can make stupider and stupider decisions, in my in my eyes. Um, then you go, you go to the Patriots, who held them to 24. The, the Dolphins' offense got a little stagnant in the second half, but they made just enough plays when they had to score. They, they scored, and they, you know, beat Mac Jones. Then, obviously, the Broncos, I think they're just a dumpster fire. It's just, it's just gotten worse and worse there. Their defense doesn't look the same. Patrick Sertan doesn't look the same. Their offense has been fine, but their defense hasn't been able to stop anybody. The commanders just put up 35 on them. And then on the Bills' side, you know, the Bills' perspective, you had the Jets' blunder where they just looked awful on the offensive side of the ball. The defense has been very consistent and great through three games. And then the Raiders and the um, commanders. So, like, has it really been a big test for both teams? Not really. Um, So that's kind of where I want to get to next. And before we go here – what is the keys, you know, what are the keys to beating the Dolphins? And, Bruce, you can start first in slowing down that offense. I think we just we just mentioned it. I think it's going to be about coverage scheming. I think it's going to be about making Tua do the things that he is less great at. This idea that there is a button you can press, and if you just press this button, um, then Tua will be terrible again. Like, that's not how this works. Like, good quarterbacks and good offenses don't do that. So you're not going to say, well, all we got to do is do this thing, and then he'll be terrible. But ideally, what you like to have him do is you like to have him throw late outside the numbers. That's ideally what you want, which means you have to be willing to concede certain things and say, okay, every defense in the world gives you something. There is no such thing 
as a defensive coverage call or a defensive play call that has no weaknesses. Because if there was, you would just call that every time. Right? That's, that's not how this works. Yeah. There is an element of rock, paper, scissors to defensive play calling that we are not comfortable talking about because it implies a level of randomness and we, we don't like it. But it's true. There, there is there is a weakness to every single defense. And so what you have to do as a defensive coordinator is say, listen, we acknowledge this is a weakness, but it's better than giving you something else. And a lot of it's opportunity cost and weighing things that are back and forth between priorities. You're weighing them and going, okay, listen, I would prefer not to have Tyreek Hill streaking down the sideline, but it's better than having him streak over the middle. So in this case, we'll take the deep shot down the sideline because if you, you know, the only pick that Tua has thrown so far this year, what was it? It was down the sideline on the left side. Like you want him throwing late outside the numbers. That's what you want. And so I think that that's going to be a key is being able to say, listen, we want you to look over the middle. We want you to think you got over the middle. And then we want you to stop and go, no, that's not there. Go to something that's, that's late outside the numbers. Because I think if you're going to take advantage of anything that is even remotely considered to be not even a weakness, just a less awesome thing about the Miami Dolphins offense, that's going to be it. I'll look up more things here before we go. Uh, keys for the Bills-Dolphins game. Thank you, all 27 of you in here. Uh, thank you for all the views and the comments and stuff like that. It's been a great show. I will say this about the this Bills defense and what they have to do. Yes, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell are great. I, I think they're they're great players. They're a great one-do com- combo, probably one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league. But for me, it's about stopping those running backs, especially in the red zone. I think they offer speed. I think they run the ball very well. They've done a very good job uh, rushing the ball this year when the when the you know throwing the ball hasn't really worked. So I think as much as it, as it is important to stop Waddle and Hill and Smythe and Berrios, it, it's just as important to stop that running game because they've been really good at it. They show you a lot of motion pre-snap. They fool you with your eyes. Um, and, and one more thing that I think they have to do and. It's the Sean McDermott. It's three words that he's always said. It's Ben, don't break. They're, they're probably going to beat you, you know, for the majority of the game, you know, past the 50, between the 20 and 20 yard line. They're probably going to beat you. But once you get into the red zone, are the will the Bills be able to turn the ball over? Will they be able to force field goals? And will they be able to get fourth down stops in the red zone? That's going to be the key for me on defense. And then offensively, it's as simple as just, again, taking what the defense gives you, not shooting yourself in the foot like I think we saw, again, more of last game with the drops by Gabe Davis and Dawson Knox. You had the penalties, the pre-snap penalties, the holding penalties. You saw a lot of that last game that I think kind of slowed down the offense and didn't allow them to get into a rhythm. Um, it was still 16 nothing going into the fourth quarter. So the offense still was not connecting on all cylinders like the Raiders game, even though they still put up 37 points. So this offense needs to also answer the bell. It's not just the defense, although it's going to be important for the defense to get it together. The offense has to be efficient, take time off the clock, use the run game. Don't go not on a fourth and one. I, I love Condorcy. I think he's a good offense coordinator. But on a fourth and one, just pile forward with your quarterback and get a first down. They, they tried the quick slant and the ball got batted down. Okay. I would like I would like to see more of that and just just stuff like that, long drives, long sustained drives. Um, and the Bills should have a chance to win this game. I don't know which way I'm leaning yet. Bruce, I don't know if you're leaning anyway, but do you have any kind of – are you leaning anyway kind of in this game? Who's going to pull out and take the win? I'd like to see what the situation is going to be like with Jalen Waddell. Um, I think I'd like to make a call on that. I, I think that it's it's hard to bet against any team that put up 70 points the last <laughs> time they played. I mean, I, 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 I mentioned it on Twitter, but I don't think that it's 
I don't think it's unreasonable when you have somebody say that, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the Dolphins. Oh my gosh, you know, the Bills are being disrespected. They scored 70 points, folks. Like, oh well, it was the Broncos. Well, the Buffalo Bills blew out a team, you know, by 30 points, and they did it by 50 points. So our 30-point blowouts better than their 50-point blowout? Like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. They had their backups in, and we're still blowing people out. <laughs> so, like, I, the Dolphins have earned their flowers, right? So I'm not going to get offended. I'm not going to get upset if people are taking the Dolphins, right? If you want to stop people from talking wonderfully about the Dolphins as the team to beat in the AFC East, then go beat them. Go do the thing. Yeah, 100%. I feel the same way. Again, I think more people will pick the Dolphins and the Bills this week just based off what the Dolphins have going. They're Offensively, they're good. On third down, they get off the field. Vic Fangio has rejuvenated that defense. They bring pressure um, and, and get to the quarterback on third down and make that you know team's punt, force, you know, force turnovers. The defense has been good enough. The offense is, like Sean McDermott said, revolutionary. He has a lot of work to do. But for all of you that tuned in today, thank you. Appreciate it. We broke down the Bills and Commanders game. Uh, the Bills dominated with a 37-3 victory. Uh, you know, play, Plays made all over the defense. It was just a great overall game for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Bruce, any last words? Anything you got going on? And uh, where can everybody find you? Although I'm sure most of the people that will be listening to this know where, know where they can find you. Well, if for some reason you listened to this and thought, oh, you need to get me some more of Bruce, then you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Just be aware the Instagram is mostly just pictures of food and dogs. And you can see all my you know ramblings there. If you'd like to listen to my show, The Bruce Exclusive, it drops every Thursday on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. All right, Bruce. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I want to get to this question really quick. Um, thank you all. I just want to see uh, what's Tua worth now? Is he top three money? Uh, I will say this. It's hard. The Tua money conversation is hard because I think his scheme is so beneficial to him. What they have in Miami is so beneficial to him. He's a great football player. He has a great anticipatory thrower. He can fit it into tight windows. He can he can throw it all over the field, especially over the middle. But the thing with me with Tua is, is he able to establish himself when things aren't going his way and when things are kind of going against the game plan and what, what they've kind of drawn up. Or Mike McDaniel just does a great job of scheming and, you know, doing things that kind of help to a, to the fullest extent. So yeah, on the dolphins, he's probably worth, you know, if he can continue this and stay healthy um, throughout this full 17 game season, which is a lot to ask for. Um, yeah. Maybe he is that deserving of top three money, especially if, you know, if they win the AFC East this year and they're a high seed in the AFC, then sure. Obviously I think he can garnish top three money. But I'm still hesitant just because I think he still is limited. But, again, that scheme is just so nice. They have such good talent. And Tua's good enough. And, you know, he's good enough to do whatever kind of he wants. And the Dolphins have been a great offense. But, again, thank you all for listening. Um, Ages Analysis, it's your host, Ages Tabalski. I will see you next week. I have a great guest, Ryan Talbot will be joining me at 7. He is from Syracuse.com. I'm sure most of you know him. A great beat reporter over there. He will be joining me at 7 o'clock to recap the Bills versus Dolphins matinee. It's going to be a great one. It's going to be a fun one. Um, again, if the Bills win, they're the leaders of the AFC East. If they lose, they're two and a half games out. So it's a big game, 1 o'clock. Enjoy it because it's one of the last ones of the season, and I will see you guys next week.